Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic, cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend and say glowing things about us on Twitter and Facebook. Especially if you want this Kirk to say something else in his intro. <laughs> right. Once I we reach... Have- X amount of listeners, we'll stop asking you to share it with a friend. That's right. I actually didn't have anything clever or additional this week to say. (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't yet given us a five-star review, stop what you're doing and pause and give us a five-star rating and review. Um, Follow us on Twitter at at clergylay and join our Facebook discussion group. And by discussion group, I mean discussion group and not our Facebook page. It's fairly dormant. We found that the way Facebook works, our page isn't. Um, really kind of the place where the interesting discussions happen. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, a priest. Hi, Chris. How's your week been? Good, Kirk. It is fall here, my favorite season. We talked about that last week. It's beautiful. And it's, we are experiencing, what I love about fall is, is the radical temperature swings. So, uh, for instance, on Monday morning, uh, when I woke up, it was like 46 degrees. And I think the high that day was 86 degrees. So, literally <laughs> right, a 40 degree right. swing. <laughs> That's so and, true. That is and so, so true. I'm in a grudge match with, with the weather because I refuse to turn on my AC since we can cool the house down in the mornings. So, in the mornings, uh, I've been working from home. I'm just, the, the windows are open. It's 40 degrees out. Uh, it's 50 degrees outside. Uh, I'm, my hands are cold. They're, my fingers are struggling to move and type. And then it's uh, unbearably hot in the afternoon. Not unbearably hot, but it's, but it's quite warm in the afternoon. And, and uh, even right now, I've got uh, a uh, hooded sweatshirt on uh, because the house hasn't quite warmed up yet. And, and that's okay. You look so cozy in your fleece. It's, I, I bet it's well, super it's, cuddly. Oh, it's very, very. <laughs> yeah, so Kirk, I, I, yeah, go ahead. I'm encountering the same thing at school. Um, so actually, the, the, our school building, which I love, and, and some of my colleagues grouse about quietly um, at different times, it was built in, uh, I think, uh, early 1960s in kind of the post-war expansion. So it looks like a lot of 1960s school. It's, it's like, it's brick, and um, it's, I, I love the building. But it, it doesn't have HVAC. Um, it has traditional boilers, and so uh, in in uh, in September and May, uh, it can get really hot, really uncomfortable, and all you can do is open the windows and turn on fans. Uh, and and then in the winter, once they turn the boiler on, it's just kind of hot. Sometimes you uh, <laughs> you open up the windows, um, and so actually, right now we are in sweater weather because 
those these October days or these March or April days where it's down in the 30s and 40s at night. Um, but then, but, but it's up, too warm in the day to really fire they, up the boiler. They can't yeah. fire up the boiler. That's right. And so it's like a miserable 62 degrees in the classrooms or whatever, 64 degrees in the classroom, where if you're just kind of sitting around, um, that becomes really cold. Um, so yeah, yeah, no, I'm in, I'm in sweater, sweater weather too. Though. No, you're, were, yeah, were you no, you're what? not. You're not wearing a sweater today. <laughs> a few weeks ago, we saw the, this was bow tie Thursday. You are not wearing a bow tie today. No, no, you caught me in the middle of Spirit Week, man. It's uh, it's homecoming this Saturday, uh, this Friday night, tomorrow, and so uh, Thursday, the theme today was Luau Day. So 13, 14 years ago, my mother and father-in-law. I uh, went to Hawaii for the first time. My mother-in-law, who's a, who's a, a, a great and thoughtful and talented gift giver, she brought back to her children and her, her sons and daughters-in-law uh, two things. She got brought back a, a fresh, I don't know how she did this via a plane. I don't know what she paid or where she shoved these things, but she brought back a fresh pineapple for everyone and a ridiculous Hawaiian shirt. And so I am wearing, I, I don't know, how would you even describe this thing, Christopher? It's... Well, I say this only because I love you, Kirk. Um, <laughs> you look ridiculous. I, isn't that the point of Hawaiian shirts, though? <laughs> like, no one would mistake a Hawaiian shirt for just kind of any other shirt. Or, like, you walk in the room and you're right. like, oh, oh, this guy's ready to party. <laughs> isn't that kind of the point? <laughs> You do look indeed look like you're ready to party. <laughs> I'm ready to we today is we are ready to party hard on the Haber Bros. We're going to party all the way into into Matthew. <laughs> yeah, be, before we do though, Kirk, I you had some wise words for me when I was a parent of small children. I recall uh, so you your three boys were born very close to each yeah. other. So you had a five-year period where your your house was a crazy place. Yes, and the Just thing five that years? you <laughs> so you had something that you'd say uh, that I thought was very wise. You said, "Small children, small problems." So, and I've even even this week I saw someone on Facebook post a bunch of. Uh, a, a series of pictures of toddlers throwing tantrums it, with the stated reason for the tantrum, you know, stupid things like they couldn't bring their, you know, toothbrush to bed or what, whatever, right. or uh, each of them was more ridiculous than, than the last one. I should have had this ready to talk about, but anyway, small children, these are small problems and easy to solve. And that's, that's good to remind yourself when you have small kids, because I mean, it, it, it takes very little for them to kind of have a temper tantrum. And, but then like, don't don't skip over those years because you're gonna miss them. You, you right. do anything to turn back the clock, and and once your kids are older, the problems, um, you know, they're they're ones that are heartrending. So you uh, sounds like had a uh, somewhat big problem, a heartrending <laughs> problem with your little child this week, and you I saw that you posted it on Twitter. <laughs> Oh, uh, uh, would you share with the class what I'm I will share. To? I will share with the class. Hello, my name is Kirk, and I'm raising a closet Presbyterian <laughs> or closet evangelical. Yeah, no, no. Here's what happened. Um, so, listener, I am 
yeah, I, I don't I'm, think the pres- Presbyterians are going to resent that. Right, right. I know. I, I, I'm like, <laughs> I, I also, I've been poking at Presbyterians on Twitter, and I'm sorry, Presbyterians, because <laughs> like basically, honestly, as Anglicans, we're kind of Presbyterians like 64% of the time anyway. So yeah, we just yeah, want you yeah. to have bishops, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could you dress up better, maybe? Take yourself a little more seriously? <laughs> Other than that, we're good. And, and right, right. And so anyhow, um, yeah, my daughter, we were driving. We had a daddy-daughter date. It was so great. Um, I took a half day. Um, I, I left at lunch. Left work Ar- at lunch. Army at half day, huh? That's right. Yep. That's a really um, obscure arrested. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I left work at lunch, and because I had dad, Daphne and I had a one p.m. dentist. I I, I used alliteration to get her excited. I, I, I said, <laughs> "We're gonna have a daddy Daphne dentist date." which sounds like something out of Dr. Seuss, which she thought was spectacular. So, so we had it all lined up. We were going to go to the dentist. Um, and then afterwards, as a reward for being good at the dentist, we were going to go to the, she, what she calls the cookie store, AKA Eaton Park. For those of you who are not in Pittsburgh, um, there's basically like a glorified Perkins. Um, wouldn't you say, Christopher, except... I'm not, I'm not sure I'd, I'd call it glorified. It's, it's <laughs> just like, it's like a, a Perkins. Perkins. Yeah, yeah. Except... They have this iconic thing called smiley cookies, which are great. And honestly, that's, that's why we go there basically once every several months to surprise our kids with smiley cookies. Uh, they're just great cookies. So Daphne loves them. And so she calls them the cookie store because honestly, like the, the food is fairly forgettable. But um, I'm sorry, Pittsburghers who love Eaton Park. I know you do. And so uh, anyhow, we go, we go to the cookie store. And then on the way back, she's very excited and I forget what, I don't know what music I was playing, probably just something vaguely classical. And she announces to me, apropos of nothing, she says, Daddy, um, I don't like church music. I only like K-Love. <laughs> Which, oh man, that was just intended to, to stick the knife where the, where the, um, uh, between the armor, between the chinks of the armor. Yeah, so, so, so many people had fun at my expense on Twitter. Which is fine. Um, so, listener, I'm a church musician. I like churchy church music, like Palestrina and Thomas Tallis and Victorian high church music and Wesley Hymnody. Uh, not so much praise band stuff. So we 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 won't don't have to get into that. But yeah, and and of course, uh, Christopher, your wife really loves to, with a twinkle in her eye, needle me about that. So now she has another ally. She's got Daphne on her side, my four year old daughter. So that was. This kind of reminds me of. I don't know if you're, you, you must remember this. Bryden asked you to play a Christmas song, but he said, but not like the ones that you play, something like Jingle Bells. <laughs> Do you remember this? This was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, seven years ago or something where, where he, you know, he's like, no, no boy choirs. No, right. You know, just, just, you know, I actually, not to get into it. I just very, very briefly dipping my toe in the surface of this. I actually think this is out of the mouths of babes. They're, they're touching on something real. Like they recognize what's actually sacred music and what's secular music. And what they're saying is, dad, can we listen to uh, the world's music? Cause that's more fun. Of course, rock is more fun, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's put on some rock, but like, don't say Jesus several times and then like call it sacred music. Yeah. But, and no, so what, so what Daphne was saying was, can we listen to some rock? And what, what what Bryden was saying is, Daddy, can we listen to some Jingle Bell Rock? And of course, I'm not. Was it Jingle Bell Rock or was it Jingle? No, Bell? I, but I'm saying Jingle yeah, Bell yeah, Rock. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a kind of a stand-in for a yeah. genre of 
Christmas music that gives you all the sentimental feels without actually making you uh, put on your sacred music hat, you know? Because a lot of people, I think, feel like, oh, it's I, I think vegetables. I can sympathize, but <laughs> I much prefer the boy choir. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's funny. I'm glad you brought that up. I wasn't even, th- that, that was, that was low-hanging fruit. That was brilliant uh, Haber Bros material. Can't believe I wasn't going to mention that. Yeah. Shall we move on to the gospel, Christopher? Let's. Today's gospel reading, it comes from Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we even back off from this text and, and analyze it in context and talk about the, the, the deeper meaning, let's spend just a few minutes establishing the players and the basic meaning of this allegory. Because this is, this is a parable that... that doesn't really work as an actual realistic story. And I'll point off, point out a few of those things that, that don't really make sense that, that wouldn't be realistic. We have a King who gives a wedding banquet for his son. And the King represents, of course, God, the father, the son represents Jesus. And the servants who are sent out are the prophets. These servants who are mistreated. The third group of servants that are sent out are, are Christian missionaries who are sent out with the gospel announcement. 
And then the judgment we see with the man who's not wearing the wedding garment refers to judgment on the last day. So the parable is to be understood in, in that way, as, as far as it's an unrealistic story that is conveying uh, a, a meaning that's behind the story. Uh, so the unrealistic elements are these. Uh, in verse 7, we see him postpone the wedding feast so he can wage war against the cities who did not respond to his invitation. <laughs> so he's like, the feast is ready. The food is ready. Put it under some heat lamps. We're going to be back in like eight hours after we like ravage these, you know, these cities. Um, uh, so it's, it's a parable. It's not supposed to be realistic. But the, but the meaning conveyed uh, is, is what Jesus is getting at here even if the story isn't realistic. Same thing with the guy who shows up without a wedding garment. Can he really be faulted for arriving without a wedding garment, even though he was gathered up off the street and told, hey, there's a wedding banquet, like, come now. He's like, oh, do I have time to go change? Like, no, like, come now. <laughs> this is a heck of a bait and switch. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> He's punished for this, uh, but, but uh, there's a meaning behind that, and I'll get to that uh, shortly here. This parable is the climax of three parables in a row talking specifically about Israel's rejection of Jesus. And we have talked about each of these. We haven't skipped any of them. There's a lot of deeper stuff here too. So, I mean, we could spend the whole time just talking about Israel's rejection. We did that a little bit last week. We touched on a little bit with Andrew two weeks ago, but, but I feel like we've talked about that at length. So I, I want to say this. It's interesting how the Protestant Reformation looms so large in theology today. And it, to the point where we can get caught up, so caught up in discussing the mechanics of salvation that we can lose sight of other things. Like, interesting. I'm intrigued. So, uh, the Reformation, we have these five solas emerge in the Lutheran Reformation sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia. Uh, really, it's just kind of like three solas. And then I, I, I didn't know this, Kirk. I was looking this up today. That In the 20th century, we kind of discovered that there are these two others, uh, Solus Christus and Soli Deo Gloria. I always thought of the five together. But really, at first, there's only three that were discussed um, kind of in unison, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, anyway, each of these five solas is significant in, in reforms of the church and about specific doctrines, things that were issues in the Roman Catholic church that Luther was, was talking about. And I suppose I should define each of these things. Um, scripture alone, you know, as far as not scripture alone as the authority, but like scripture above all other authority authorities, um, faith alone, sola fide, sola gratia, grace alone, um, Solus Christus, um, through Christ alone, and soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Uh, so I want to relate this a little bit to, t uh, to today because, you know, for instance, Martin Luther, who was a great reformer, uh, who we love, and I know uh, Roman Catholics don't, <laughs> but, but you and I love him. Uh, yes, yes, I do. And we, we see him as a, as a great reformer. Saint Martin. He struggled <laughs> uh, with the book of James. And, and that was kind of part of the context that he was ministering in. in. In like when you are ministering at that particular era, you and I would probably struggle with the book of James, mm -hmm. kind of misleading people to question their own salvation. And, and um, but today uh, we have uh, kind of this inherited this Protestant Reformation as far as like the emphasis on, on, um, on salvation by grace through faith uh, but then the pushback on that has become 
really unhealthy in the church. And and another uh, person that, that we are very fond of, another theologian named Michael Horton, yes. has written an entire book about this called Christless Christianity. And it's an indictment of the contemporary church looking at it and saying that that the church is so focused on moralism and, and, and being good and kind of bearing fruit and asking people to inspect themselves, you know, you know, to be like fruit inspectors, it, that, that there's such a focus on this that, that Christ disappears. And that's the entire thesis of the book is, is that like this Christianity that's peddled today doesn't have a big place for Christ, which is crazy, right? Yeah. Moralism has, has, has replaced Jesus in, in many churches. Here's the thing. We are saved by grace through faith. We all believe this. Catholics, Protestants, Eastern Orthodox. Why do we believe this, Kirk? Because that's what the Bible says. That's right. Yep. <laughs> um, that's what Paul writes in the book of Ephesians. We are saved by grace through faith. And so like we may quibble with Roman Catholics, and, and, they, and they would quibble certainly with our language of sola gratia, uh, grace alone, uh, and sola fide, uh, faith alone. Um, they may quibble with some things, uh, but, but they would have to affirm because scripture affirms uh, salvation by grace through faith. So uh, God has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. God has justified the ungodly. That is what God has done. God saves. That is literally, <laughs> and I mean that word literally, Kirk. God saves is literally what the name Jesus means. Uh, it's interesting where, where uh, when the angel tells Mary that she's going to name her son Jesus, for he shall save their people from their sins. <laughs> you know, that, that's not conveyed necessarily in that verse unless you know that Jesus means God saves. So, um, yet, uh, what, what do we see in Matthew? We see both 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 sides of like nuance here. We see um, skepticism at the uh, assumption that uh, we see kind of the, the hypocritical nature of the, of the Pharisees, right? Who kind of go through the motions, but their heart isn't there. Um, and uh, we also see a lot of uh, talk about like being careful to judge. We, we see both things. Uh, Yes. Matthew is calling us to look um, for us, each of us, to bear fruit. Which is, which is something that if, if we are going to talk simply about the polar, not polar opposites, the, the spectrum where on one side you're, no, 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 faith alone. And the other side, well, but like, let's talk about fruit and like, let's, let's you know, focus on morals and stuff. Um, God wants us to bear fruit. Like, the, both are true. Like both it's true that like God has, God has totally saved us and God is calling us to bear fruit. So it's not as though by affirming both of these things that, that we are saying we believe in salvation by grace alone, but salvation through personal effort. Or, I'm sorry, sanctification through personal effort. No, no, no. We believe that sanctification comes through Christ as well. So uh, I actually like the language that my bishop uses um, when he talks about this and, and about other things. He says, God does everything. We do something. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Matthew is getting at here. It's interesting how Matthew is talking about 
the diversity of the church, this new community of God, how it's a mixed body. We saw earlier in chapter 13, the parable of the wheat and the tares or the wheat and the weeds. And he's like, oh, be careful about like rooting out the, what you think are weeds because you might accidentally uh, root out um, some, some actual like wheat. As you look at the church, there, there is both. Uh, it's hard to tell sometimes what is wheat and what is, what is weeds. In chapter 13, he talks about um, this net bringing in fish and the sorting of good and bad. In chapter 21, just, just last chapter, the obedient and the disobedient sons. And then in chapter 25, we were going to see the sheep and the goats separated. So what's the, what's the thing about the sheep and the goats, Kirk? They're both in the church. Both kind right. of think they're in. Um, like, you know, likewise, the wheat and the tares. Yeah. Right. You know, the goats are going to try. The problem is the goats are going to try to justify themselves. They're going to say, did we not, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but the reality is that each of us are welcomed by grace. And I love, uh, so my, my, uh, New Testament professor is, is a brilliant, brilliant man. Um, and, uh, he, he became a confirmed Anglican in seminary at Oxford. And, uh, so, so as, as this understanding of, uh, as, as he worshipped in these beautiful old stone church buildings, uh, one of the things he marveled at is the beauty of this. I love the term he, came, he used: this riffraff lined up <laughs> to take communion. You know, <laughs> yeah, like it's this beautiful thing that the church just like throws the doors open, like this at this wedding banquet. That these, like, all these riffraff are welcomed in. It's amazing. You won't believe this. That is exactly the word I had written down and underlined, right? I'm holding up my Bible right now so you can see right beside this passage. Yes, riffraff. Go ahead. Riffraff. <laughs> we enter by grace alone. And Matthew loves to celebrate the grace of God while also being painfully aware of these dual tendencies of the church. Tendency one, good people in the community are tempted to embark on purification projects. Right. Weeding out the weeds and accidentally casting out wheat. But tendency number two, there's the temptation for the bad among us, of which they're, they're here. They're the weeds. They're the goats. Um, the bad among us to count on, and this is, I'm quoting a, a, a commentator here, uh, the bad among us to count on God's foolishness and to misconstrue grace as divine indifference to morality or behavior. Oh, yeah. And that is this, is this tough ending of this person who comes in without the wedding garment. Um, this is saying uh, we are not to be – again and again and again, Matthew calls us to not be smug about us being included and others being excluded. That's, that is not the, our posture, is it? Like I, I, I hope, listener, that you – can see this throughout you know matthew's gospel there's like these dual things going on where where we're 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 called to be like judges of of wisdom and morality and behavior while also uh, avoid judging and avoid pointing out the plank i'm sorry the the speck in in one another's eye while ignoring the plank in our own eye but of course we judge right and wrong don't we like it, it would be a, a tremendously horrible thing for me to not help a brother who is in sin a few weeks ago we we dealt with this like we said that there's going to be conflict there's going to be sin and there's a way to deal with this like we we don't let someone else who's 
stumbled into sin, um, continue on the path to destruction, that, that would not be loving at all. But we do that knowing that we've got a plank in our own eye. We do it with humility. So uh, Matthew consistently reminds us that sitting in judgment isn't helpful. That the thing always to do is to focus on self-examination. And, and, and so what, what he's saying with this judgment at the very end, what is being promoted here is, is the Father's will for us to bear fruit uh, of being properly guard, garbed. It's not sufficient simply to hold membership. You know, the invitation is, is I'm looking for a word here that's not coming to me. It is, uh, it's, it's not specific. It is, what's the word I'm looking for, Kirk? Help me out. I'm it sorry. Is, I'm <laughs> like, what's you, the word for like non-specific? Like it vague. No, like, like if, if I were just to like shoot, not at a target, but shoot all over the place, like a, a gun, uh, it's going to come to me in like okay. 20 minutes and I'm going to be frustrated. Anyway, you're welcome listener for high quality content. Here. <laughs> <gasps> um, you know, the invitation is broad and, and non-specific. It's to everybody. Like, it's to, into the streets to say, riffraff, come one, come all. But it's not sufficient just to say, well, I was invited. How about general? Is that the word? General? Sure. Universal? Yeah. Universal. Let's say universal. That's not the word I was looking for, but, cause, but I, didn't come, I didn't come up with universal because I was looking for a very specific word. Right. The, the, but the invitation is universal. But what, what is sufficient um, as, as you respond is not just like, oh, well, I said yes and not no, um, like there, to sit at the table as an invited guest is, in essence, to put on Christ, to put on the garment, to put on, um, and in fact, in the early church, uh, you know, both Paul and his epistles talk about putting on Christ as, as a garment, um, as we would put on a garment, but, but this was, uh, in the early church, something used to describe what it was like to, to turn from our sin and to turn from our old lives and to follow Jesus. So, so I, I hope I'm bringing some nuance to this, like, uh, faith and works debate, you know, that, that of course we're saved by faith and not by works. Uh, but, uh, but God is calling us to new life. Yeah. Amen. I, I, I think, um, I constantly think of the, the letter of first John um, when, when this comes up and, uh, and I feel like uh, Protestants and Catholics in America, we just have really worn out ruts that we go round and around in um, and just kind of tired, comfortable, familiar arguments. And then if you read, if you read like a letter, like first John through um, actually you and you realize that it's um, you have a sense of whiplash. You're like, ah, John agrees with me. Ooh, John's saying an uncomfortable <laughs> thing. Ah, John agrees with me. Ooh, John's saying an uncomfortable thing. Regardless of whether you have more reformed intuitions or more Catholic intuitions. Let me just give you a brief example. This is from first John four verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, right? So that's exhortation, right? God loves you, so love others, right? Um, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest among us. 
that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Now, suddenly, we're back into the language of grace, right? The things that God did for us, right? God sent his son into the world as an act of love, right? Um, verse 9, that's verse 9. Verse 10, in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I mean, there are hardly, there, you could ha hardly find a more reformed Protestant verse than that, right? You want to know love? Love is one way. Love comes from heaven down to earth, God for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. But then the whiplash, verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us, right? So the uncomfortable thing, you cannot read a lot of the, the gospel and um, you, have to, you have to cut it apart with scissors to get it to say only specifically reformed things or specifically Catholic things about <coughs> grace and works. The reality is that we are called into a life of holiness because of mm. God's one-way love. Mm, and the yeah. power of God's one-way love for us while we were yet unregenerate sinners is the only thing that can transform us. But transform us it does mm -hmm. into his life, yeah. into his love. And, and, and not only that, uh, we talked a few weeks ago about how people like to pit Jesus versus Paul. Right, right. As if, you know, Jesus is the, or Paul is the one who's salvation by grace through faith, but then Jesus is more calling us to something more stringent. Right. Re those people aren't reading Paul. Right. So, so I, I, or I, the gospels, I would, argue. I pushed it. I, like, I brought this up because, like, Jesus talks about salvation through grace alone. You know, your faith has made you well. Get yeah. up and walk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus is, you know, there's agreement there, but. You're not reading Paul if you don't see Paul pushing people forward to holiness. Right, right. And and so I referred earlier. I run this, to finish the race. <laughs> well, is that Hebrews or does Paul say that as well? That Paul says that. Is that? Oh my God. Okay. But okay. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. So so, <laughs> uh, my my uh, New Testament professor that I mentioned earlier, Paul Rainbow. I didn't mention my name. Go buy his books. He's great. Paul Rainbow. He wrote an entire book called The Way of Salvation, not put pitting James against Paul or Jesus against Paul, but saying in Paul's own words, what does the Christian life look like? And and we see this pressing onward uh, that, that he points out. Last week, uh, the uh, the reading from Philippians uh, was was an entire text about pressing – no, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, yeah. I think, um, was about um, – it's, it was from Philippians 2, right? About like pressing onward, uh, urging people onward in light because they have been saved. Uh, he talks about like hoping to kind of, uh, I hope you're looking this up because otherwise I'm just going to stammer as I'm trying to remember <laughs> what the, I'm, I'm efforting it right now, buddy. And if you don't find it, I'll find it here. So are we talking, we're talking Philippians 2, right? Hang on. Why don't you just pause it while we find it? <laughs> All right. So just as in Philippians 3, I found it. Just <laughs> as 
Paul establishes that that this righteousness is through faith in Christ, he talks about straining onward toward the goal in in chapter Philippians chapter three verse twelve. He says, "Not that I've already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own." So because of who he is in Jesus Christ, he's saying, I press onward, like seeking to obtain this righteousness. So, so this, the word this, uh, is referring to the righteousness of God from God that depends on faith. So um, not only is, well, is there an alien righteousness, which is gifted to us, which is imputed to us, but we're also pressing onward in our lives towards righteousness and this is we're getting pretty far out on a tangent <laughs> i just wanted to raise raise that since it, since that was from uh, a recent uh epistle yeah yeah and i'll just say that i'll just say this and then i have another thing and then we can move on uh i i i've begun to see that um part of sanctification that is the being made holy being called into a new and different and transformed life um through the power power of the holy spirit in jesus christ is that um, that life of holiness begins to seem no longer as drudgery, or as I like to say, mm. eating your vegetables, mm. but as something that you hunger for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so actually, it doesn't feel like work. Mm. When you get to that point, it isn't work, but it's stepping into a lovely garden full of beautiful things. Where um, you'd show up at this, at, at this banquet you. and you'd, yep. say, you'd say, where is, where is the loner uh garment right right where where some people may may stumble in and just be like i don't care (laughs) like like this like i i have no desire really to 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 walk in the ways of of this kingdom okay now so now i'm going to throw a bunch of acid on the beautiful portrait that you painted christopher um because the the one thing that i had had looked at here and and the only thing that i had really kind of read about and thought about and noticed was the wedding garment and mm. another ancient hermeneutic of, of reading that wedding garment as baptism. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, um, that baptism being Christ's righteousness that you that you wear, and this is where I get charismatic. I think I've said this before mm. here, um, that I believe that angels and demons see your baptism visibly um, mm. on your head, or if you've been, been a good Baptist all over your body, baptized in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and so that it would look like a wedding garment <laughs> um, in, uh, with among the heavenly beings as angels and demons. And uh, so, so for the wedding guest who shows up, who has rejected his calledness, his washedness, um, that if, if you have repudiated that life into which you've been called, if you have been baptized and yet have, have kind of spat upon it and walked away, um, of course, the king, the, the king, at the last day will recognize, whoa, 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 I gave you this lovely spotless robe, and yet you can't be bothered, bothered to wear it when you're walking into my banquet hall? Um, I'm, I'm compelled by that, by that hermeneutic as well. So, sorry to throw acid on your painting, but that's what I had been thinking about as I had been reading this. I, I'm not sure what you're saying with that metaphor, just that you're going a different direction. Oh, yeah, no, no, you seem to be saying that the, that, uh, the 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 wedding garment was personal holiness, and I had been reading it all week. Uh, the wedding garment as baptism mm. that is mm. imputed okay. righteousness. 
And and here's the here's the thing is it can actually be both. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, it does seem like in the context of the book of Matthew that it that that uh, it certainly is f- bearing the fruit of of the kingdom. Um, but I'm not. That's that is not to reject uh, be- because baptism is seen to be putting on you know Christ and and unity with Christ. <laughs> For our theology segment today, uh, we wanted to talk about what it means to be a church gathered around God's word. Uh, Christopher, you and I, uh, separate from each other, um, it's quite possible that this is the movement of the Holy Spirit, um, separate from each other have been thinking through um, Mm -hmm. adult Sunday school series, or, or for me, an adult Sunday school series, for you, a sermon series, I'm thinking of why we gather intentionally as a church. And uh, I began, we began ours last week, and we began where we as good uh, Bible-based Christians should begin, which is around God's Word. And uh, um, you and I have said this before on this show, that you, you can't fully be a Christian at home. Um, what it means to be a Christian is to be a part or of a, a part, body. Uh, yeah, you a can't part fully of a be body. a Christian um, apart from the church, I would say. Yeah, yep. Um, uh, and the, the metaphor that's used in the New Testament is um, a hand cannot exist from the body or a leg or a nose or an ear. We are members one of another. Um, and so what does that mean in terms of the context of the word of God? And you and I wanted to talk a, a little bit about that. And uh, I, 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 what came to mind actually was a psalm. And I wanted to, wanted to read that psalm here uh, it, and then... And then think through prayerfully with you kind of what that means. And that psalm is Psalm 122, um, which is, uh, which is a, a psalm that, that I've loved for a long time. Um, I've, I've sung a glorious setting of it <laughs> in different cases. Um, psalm 122, it goes like this. I was glad when they said unto me, we will go into the house of the Lord. Now our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is at unity in itself. For there the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there is the throne of judgment, even the throne of the house of David. Oh, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love you. Peace be within your walls and plenteousness within your palaces. For my brethren and companions' sakes, I will wish you prosperity. Indeed, because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek to do you good. Now, Christopher, I've always been struck by David or the author's uh, exclamation to begin the psalm, I was glad when they said unto me, we will go into the house of the Lord, which is funny because who says to, who says to you, 
we will go into the house of the Lord, right? That's not often how Sunday morning conversations uh, go uh, at home, right, Christopher? Um, how often does, does your child or your wife walk up to you, we will go to church. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and yet that's, that's the, the situation here. And I was glad when they said to me, um, that's always stirred me. Um, and, and I'm not saying that I'm, I'm super holy, but there have been times um, when I, I've been prayerfully put in, my heart has been put in a proper posture towards the Lord, where I am stirred, where I am glad it's a Sunday morning and I'm eager, I, I, I'm glad to be going to church. Um, and notice I say church, uh, Jerusalem is mentioned a handful of times here. And we've talked about this uh, actually in recent weeks. It's been a theme in Romans and Romans 11 and in Matthew um, that the, the church is uh, the expanded um, kingdom of God that was once the promise exclusively to the Jews. Um, that, 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 that promise, that calledness, that chosenness, uh, that salvation has been expanded to the Gentiles. We, to use St. Paul's metaphor in Romans, have been grafted in the original olive tree. And so now our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. We, we, we can properly read that in as in, now our feet are standing within your gates, O church. Um, uh, the church is built as a city that is at unity in itself. Um, and not always the, the case, but ideally. Um, and so um, I love um, praying the psalm every time we encounter it in morning or evening prayer. It, in the lectionary. Um, it's an aspirational psalm, um, how at its best my soul sings a song of gladness um, walking into the courts of the Lord. Um, and and sometimes as, as, I'm sorry, fellow Protestants, if it feels like I'm always punching down on us, um, but I am one, and so it's easiest to criticize your own family, right? Um, as Protestants, sometimes we think too exclusively about reading the Bible um, individually, um, uh, evening or morning prayer on our own, or our devotional on our own, or reading through a Bible study on our own. And Christopher, we wanted to to just kind of think through a few um, reasons why it's important to be gathered together to encounter God's word. Um, so I've monologued a, a little bit, Christopher. Do you have do you have um, anything you want to say at this point about the the vital the vital importance about being gathered together around God's God's word and by God's word? So are, are we just tackling um, gather around God's word uh, today? Yeah, for yeah. I mean, that, okay. that, that, that in itself is a wide enough topic to finish off the show. Sure, sure. Yeah, because uh, I, as you shared with me, your Sunday School series is a five-part series yes. uh, that, that talks about the different things that we gather around. That's right. As the as the capital C church, and week one is that we are gathered around God's word, uh, and then there you know the further weeks you know deal with prayer, song, sacraments, mm -hmm. uh, other things. Because I th I think I I think uh, it's easy for for us to to if we are going to be the people pointing out the the specks in others eyes it's easy it's, it's easy for us to look at at Ro our roman catholic brothers and sisters and say like there's a lot more than just the sacraments you know but even as we kind of point that finger uh we need to remember of course uh as you will address in, in two weeks how like 
there are no sacraments apart from the church, and the sacraments are vitally involved uh, in 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 our life. And and I think that's that's my initial comment is is simply this that the, that the capital C church the the church is not an accident. Mm-hmm. The church is I, I is like not that. incidental. It is it is not an accident. It is by design, and so I think it's important to state that at the outset that, that this isn't just like well God's like well how do I make sure that they get the word and that they are able to pray together and uh, also kind of distribute these vital sacraments. Uh, I guess we'll just have we'll have to have a church. No, like the church uh, Jerusalem <laughs> was always part of the design of this this and so um with that stated i think as as our foundation that this is part of god's design for us to not uh be just incidentally part of the church uh but but this is actually what god wants for us i i think i think that's important foundation and so i'll i'll use this as as kind of uh an illustration for that is is i have a friend here in town who is uh who leads this wonderful ministry. I admire him greatly. And what the ministry is, is, is it's an evangelism ministry. Not only does he seek in his personal life to make disciples personally, but he also uh, trains people in disciple making and, and believes that each of us are called to do that. We're called and equipped. And he wants to equip everybody he talks to to make disciples. He's like, you can do this. Uh, but as as much as I admire him and 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 even just the the way that he, he equips people and his approach is great, I, I have one big critique, and I've I've shared this with him. Uh, you know, this isn't me just kind of gossiping behind his back, uh, because there's so much that he's doing that is right and good. But the one thing is he, he what he what he does is uh, he says I don't necessarily invite them to church right away. And perhaps this is my heart as a church planter is saying like, what? Like, why? Like, uh, how can you invite them into a relationship with Jesus apart from the church? It doesn't make sense to me. But he wants to kind of personally disciple them for a while before he brings them into the church. Uh, and uh, to me, this is a, a misconstrual of, of God's design. God does not call us into individual relationships with him alone. Now, does he call us, Kirk, into an individual relationship with him? Of course he does. Yes, absolutely. Yes. But also into the life of the church, into, in, into a relationship with him um, and uh, through it, in, in part of the church. And so, so I think with that as a foundation, uh, I, th I feel like we could talk about gathering first around yeah. the word, the yeah. proclaimed word of God. Um, so if you think about synagogue first and then temple worship, um, with the, the building of the temple with Solomon, um, vital, and we'll get later to the sacraments and the presence of God in the sacraments as a continuation of the presence of God in the temple. But vital to synagogue worship was the reading, the proclamation, and the teaching of the word. And that was always an inherently communal activity for Israel. Uh, it was of uh, is uh, Israelites were exhorted to teach their children um, uh, in their households, but of course, then always they were called to uh, to the proclamation of the world word at the synagogue, 
and of course uh, venerated above all social positions in in Jew, uh, Jewish culture was that of rabbi, which is teacher. Mm -hmm. um, the idea that uh, your child, your son, would ultimately become a teacher of the Hebrew scriptures was the, the fervent wish of every good Jewish mother. Mm. Um, it was a, a high and noble aspiration. And so, just, so just just um, a, a real quick uh, quibble on language. Um, okay. Um, the the synagogue was not always part of the design. That the synagogue was was temporary. Um, was something that popped up in in exile. Right. So so right. um, I'm sorry. I was of... sloppy with language. I meant yeah. I meant tent or tabernacle first. Sure. And then yeah I, yeah yeah. Well, I, but, I but yeah but, but yeah tent and ta the tabernacle of course is was in, in, the, in the sense of but in the sense of a tabernacle is the presence of God. That's right. But but you're making a distinguish you you are distinguishing between the you know the presence of God which is kind of mediated to us through yep. um, sacraments. Yep. Um and 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 is is uh in, in the Jewish practice was defined by place like there's there there's you know you can't say well god is is everywhere that where two or three are gathered no they would not have said that right however and um it, it was common practice for for teaching of the word of god and i think i think we'll need to to parse that in uh, in in future in future episodes because sure, we believe yeah. both things that god is yes. spirit and truth and yes. that we do believe in holy spaces as well there are reasons yes. why in our tradition christopher we we consecrate spaces and then we deconsecrate them when we leave them right right we don't just kind of use it's not anything. haphazard yeah it's not haphazard right that's right that's right um so i just want to want to kind of meditate on john 1 1 i mean I know you and i both love this as a um as kind of a, a text to meditate on um, maybe this week and think about why we should come together um, in consecrated spaces to be ministered to by God's word um, because God's word became incarnate. Um, John 1.1, 1, 1, John, unlike uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, opens his, uh, his gospel with this odd opening. In the beginning mm. was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Um, and that word logos in Greek um, sort of means rational organizing principle. Um, that is the, 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 the brain, right? The intelligence that spoke all things into being at the beginning um, in Genesis 1 is the same intelligence, the same being, the same rationality that then becomes flesh <laughs> and becomes mm -hmm. our savior mm -hmm. and our bleeding hunk of flesh that is the atonement for our sins. And so uh, that's, a, that's a confluence of two things that you wouldn't necessarily link together, that the intelligence that, that spoke all things into being um, becomes the thing that becomes bleeding flesh and saves us. And so the intelligence, the word, right, our Bible <laughs> becomes fleshed and becomes present and is a three-dimensional, pokeable, bleedable object. Um, and so... Uh, that has ramifications for how we teach and how we gather and how we are ministered to by that word. It is not a mere abstraction, um, and yet it is among us. And so that, that word play, which is funny, the word that is the book, right, um, is also right. the word that is God. <laughs> so we use word for, for like the Bible, and then we use word for 
the second person of the Trinity. Right, right. And that wordplay is actually intentional. Um, and so, Christopher, in our tradition, when the gospel is read, it is kissed and then processed into the midst of the people to confess that this word isn't merely a set of intellectual propositions on ink on paper, but it is an enfleshment that needs to be among us and to bind us together. Mm. Um, and uh, another word play that's used in the New Testament that's intentional is body and body, right? The body mm -hmm. of Christ, right. which we feed upon, is also you and me, right? We are the hands and feet of his body. And that, that ambiguity, that and word the other play parts. is intentional as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is so vital. I, I, I know we need to wrap up. We have, I have a heart out. Um, but I, I, I want to remind our listeners in this era of coronavirus that insofar as it is healthfully possible, do not neglect your local church. I am glad if you are being fed by God's word at home. Um, but I think we want to gently exhort you that, um, that home isn't quite enough. And if it's at all possible, at the very least, to live stream with your local body, with your local congregation, at the very least, do that. And if it's possible to actually physically gather, that is always better. Um, remember St. Paul's metaphor, um, we are members one of another, we are one body. And so the word can only do its full, true, powerful work of binding us together with each other and in Christ when we meet and gather together. How's that, Christopher? Well said. Shall we end in prayer? Let's. It'll take me just a moment to pull it up, but then <laughs> high quality a podcasting. To, a lot to scroll through. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Let us pray. Oh God, our refuge and strength, true source of all godliness. Graciously hear the devout prayers of your church and grant that those things which we ask faithfully, we may obtain effectually. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. O God, the source of all holy desires and all good counsels and all just works, give to your servants that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments and that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may pass our time in rest and quietness through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Lighten our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord, and by your great mercy, defend us from all perils and dangers of this night for the love of your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Kirk, we'll talk next week. Next week, Christopher.